Hello, I'm Mick Steely. I'm the host of the Kinetic Collective podcast, powered by Play. Today's guest is Nathan Parnham. Nathan Parnham is the current Director of Strength and Conditioning at Brisbane Grammar School. His career spans close to two decades working in both amateur and professional sport. This includes setting up several successful high school athletic development programs throughout the country across both government and private school sectors. In doing so, Nathan has proven his worth and versatility as one of the select few to not only progress into elite professional sport, but to do so across both genders, both in the NRL and with Australian Rugby Sevens. Nathan's qualifications include a Bachelor of Exercise Science, Diploma of Education, PDHPE, and a Master's of Strength and Conditioning. Nathan's passion lies in the development space, which led to the launch of his book, The Sporting Parent. So join with me as we go and learn a little bit more about Nathan Parnham. How are we doing, Nathan? How you going, man? Great to have you on board. Yeah, awesome, bud. Thanks for having me on board. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being part of the first episode, and hopefully we don't stuff this up too much so we can get a few more done. So just to get stuck into it first is um, (laughs) what's the Nathan Parnham story? Tell me a bit about yourself. The Nathan Parnham story. Um... So I suppose, yeah, the usual story, man, like uh, when it comes to a lot of other athletic development coaches is played a lot of sport when I was younger and those sports were, I, I grew up in a, a big tennis family and then uh, later on in, I suppose, as I got into my late teens, I uh, got into martial arts a fair bit and yeah, started training in Muay Thai from, you know, 17 years of age through to even now. And yeah, throughout that, I was a kind of, you know, regular teenager, I skateboarded a lot uh, and my parents were just really supportive. So I was a pretty high energy kid. So my, my parents were, you know, sport was an outlet for me. So I've probably only realized this as I've gotten older, actually, that uh, it was a bit of a strategic ploy for my parents to channel my energy, so to speak. So the more sport I played, the better. Fatigue you out a little and, bit, make yeah, you sleep I, at night, calm you down a bit. <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. Wear me out. And uh, yeah, and then just, you know, as I was leaving school, I didn't really, I suppose I was a little bit lost and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And sport was always there lingering in the background. And fortunately for me, I was able to kind of, you know, go into an undergraduate degree as I think they called it a mature age student, but I was only about 20 years old at the time. And yeah, just that, that kind of passion for sport just continued to flourish along the way. And Luckily for me, I've been blessed to, to make a career out Look, of it. Currently, you're um, based at Brisbane Grammar School, so you've had a few uh, stops along the way to get there. Would you happy to just run through some of those stops that you've had to get to where you are at the moment? Yeah, so a, a big thing for me throughout my, my undergraduate degree, I was personal training and spent probably a good, oh, I'm going to say easily seven to ten years doing personal training. and. That was where it all started and and my goal was to to get into sport though and i was really fortunate that a lot of the opportunities that presented themselves early were actually it's like a lot of things where they in that development space because i suppose you you haven't honed your craft so to speak then that's the really first opportunity people get to to engage in that and that's something that i'm I'm quite passionate about in the development space and also in in female sport now is that our industry has evolved so much that there's so many opportunities to get jobs that now even I think I wouldn't consider myself to be the best coach. But I mean, there's there's a lot of people now who have the credential and runs on the board to that are actually involved in the in the youth space and the private setting and in female sport and things like that because 
they've chosen to be there. So for me, you know, I essentially you could say I, I earned my craft through the development space into eventually finding my way in professional sport and and had a taste of that, which for me personally was a light at the end of the tunnel and I'm forever grateful for. And and now it just gave me that opportunity to really, I suppose, you know, just hone in and, and having experienced a multitude of different environments to work in. As I've gotten older, it just allowed me to mature as a coach and really select where I wanted to be yeah. on my terms. So well, I think the, uh, the boom of women's sport is something that's just going to keep growing and growing as well. And, you know, purely from a personal point of view, is that something that I sort of haven't really, I guess, dealt in as much as I probably would like to. But I think that's something that is you know, going to be another exciting space just for coaches as a whole going forward. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. The, the, the women's uh, space when it comes to sport is phenomenal because for me, my experience in that, I'd been working a lot with, uh, I'd worked in co-ed schools before. So I had experience in working with girls in sport and, and having been, just come from the elite level in, in female sport and in a national uh, at a national standard, uh, you know the the rewards in doing that and their mentality is completely different to guys. And I'm happy to say that, uh, and I say that in an extremely positive way. In that, if anyone is given the opportunity to do it, do it because it's it's a phenomenal space to be involved in because it's done very differently. And I will say this that it is actually very much appreciated because of the it's still very much in its infancy and there's a lot of respect and gratefulness that come from these Absolutely. athletes and and I think it's something that blokes I think from the limited exposure from. I've had was a few um, I guess de- um, developmental or sort of uh, state sort of league camps where they sort of bought some talented athletes in and did some testing and just having the you know ability to sit there and watch the testing and watch how supportive they were of each other in the testing whereas you know blokes are probably a little bit more competitive in that matter I guess when there's sort of testing running on whereas yep. females were you know, cheering each other on, they're making sure they push right to the end of the line. It was just, yeah, different sort of environment, I guess. But well, I wasn't used to at that time. But again, opened my eyes up to that difference yeah, between the two. It is it is huge. It is a very different dynamics when it comes to that. And you've hit the nail on the head there too. When it comes to their support of each other, and you know that you could talk about this all day, the difference between guys and girls, but. Um, the reality of it is, for that exact reason that you're talking about, it's a really encouraging environment to be a part of. And uh, I was yeah, really fortunate that I was able to, to work in it full time for, for a couple of years. Now, you mentioned some of the sports you played as a kid was tennis, and then you sort of you went into the martial arts. How did you go as a tennis player? <laughs> uh <laughs> well, how do I say this? So, mate, I, I was... Um, I grew up a lot I like tennis, you know, I, I played tennis from as, as early as I could walk that, you know, all my cousins have tennis centers, they still do now. And, you know, my uncles and cousins were all coaches. And so for me, tennis was a big part of our family as far as, you know, every Christmas, it was getting new rackets and trying to beat my uncles on the court. And, and that was what that was our family time, our family time was that I would compete with my uncles and, you know, at the age of 12, trying to, you know, clean clean slate them and things like that. And and it was fun and everyone got around it. And I suppose as a kid growing up, it was really, from a confidence thing, it was cool to have my older, you know, aunties and uncles all sitting around the court and kind of sledging each other and, and being supportive of it. And so for me, I like, 
you know, I, I, I suppose it was it was an interesting time because it, it certainly it allows me now as I've matured to resonate because I was kind of earmarked as a as a, a decent young talent and and when I say that I'm I'm talking you know 10 12 years old uh, and then you know as I got older around that 14 years I when I say came down with an injury I, I had uh, a couple of injuries along the way and. And then I just kind of became a teenager because of the long stint on the sideline. And it, it was it was an interesting one because having come from an environment where I was quite pumped up, you know, as a kid, and I don't say that arrogantly by any means, uh, but in, in my, you know, the region that I came from uh, in Sydney, then, then I kind of was. And, and as I got older and like I said, I, I, you know, had a few injuries. And then when I came back in, in that whole becoming a teenager, I've, I hadn't really learned to lose. I'd, I'd, you know, not that I'd never lost, but uh, I was definitely immature when it came to that and the processes involved. And and losing wasn't something that I was I was keen on. So I kind of, when I say threw the towel in, I I just became a teenager and and my attention diverted elsewhere. And my parents weren't fussed. Like they they probably liked it to be honest because they were travelling all around the state and things like that. And and for for me, it was just a, um, yeah, I suppose a, an interesting one that it was a, a big challenge in that, that I had to learn how to lose and, and that was something that, you know, I didn't like at the time. If you're saying that you had to learn how to lose, did you learn any lessons from that? So how long did it take to sort of, how did you get around to coping with that sort of ability to lose or realising that you're probably not as good as you thought you were? Yeah, so I'd say that I didn't cope with it very well, and and I fully acknowledge that. But when I say my maturity has come as I've gotten older, is that I I didn't handle it well, and and essentially that's what the enjoyment from tennis went away for a long time because it's easy to winning. enjoy something where you're winning all the time. But but I didn't have a I'd say that the biggest challenge of it is, and and this is why it resonates with me now as I've gotten older as a coach, is that. The, I didn't have the mentors to kind of guide me through that and, and really, it's really cliche now to say, you know, trust the process and all that sort of stuff. You know, we throw that around every day. But as a youth coming through, it was kind of you win or you lose and and that's about it. And for me, I, I just kind of got jack of it. And then, uh, like I said, threw the towel in and, um, yeah, and just my, diverted my attention elsewhere. So I, I wish I had have had those mentors who could, help me out along the way and and kind of guide me through that but at the end of the day it's kind of led me to, yeah. to coaching now but do you and, think that'd be part I'm of the at. reason why you've sort of gone to coaching because that's sort of something that you realize you missed when you were a kid and that would have been beneficial for you to have that sort of experience yeah i, I think it definitely yeah I, I completely agree i think it definitely has because the the lessons that i've learned as a I don't, like I said, this is purely not out of arrogance, but I don't want to say talented youth, uh, but uh, essentially I was, and then that's how I came about the lessons that I've learned along the way and and where I can divert my attention to. Now, you have come out now and you've released a book called The Sporting Parent. Talk me through the motivations for um, writing a book. Yeah, so the I suppose the key motivation for it was having I touched on it earlier in the uh, understanding. Sometimes you have to go on your own journey to understand your you know where your true passions lie, and and for me that's development sport. And 
I'd constantly been asked over the years numerous questions that were uh, things from, you know, what, what sport is the best for my child, how much training is too much training to things like resistance training and supplement use and, and all these things along the way. And, and for me, I felt that now that I'm back in this space and, and that I'm passionate about it, that there's no better time to, to try and get all those ideas down on paper and, and so to speak, and, and then try and share them with parents. Because I feel like as coaches, we all know these things and you also speak to a lot of, and it doesn't necessarily have to be athletic development coaches. You speak with technical coaches and, and they all do sing the same song. But for me, I feel like if, if 17, 18 years has gone by and parents are still asking what we would deem to be dumb questions and they're not dumb questions, they're just well-intentioned they just don't know questions, the is that, yeah, they just don't know the answer. And and us as coaches, we're, we're being really, um, how do I say it, we're, I suppose, undervaluing our accumulated knowledge over the years that we would perceive these to be silly and, and dumb questions, but they're actually not. They're well-intentioned questions and and for me, I thought after 17, 18 years, then why not pen them down and, and make a resource that everyone can refer to and, and, and we can educate parents to make their own decisions that are without a, some sort of bias or, or hidden agenda, so to yeah, speak. Absolutely. Now, I actually finished the book up yesterday. Um, outstanding work. Again, it did resonate a lot and you're exactly right. It's sort of stuff that we as coaches sort of know and actually, you know, it's basically a manual. It's something that you can provide a, you know, a yeah. Uh, anyone that's got teenagers or going through that sort of that growth space, space where they've got kids that are playing sport and they want to answer, ask those questions, well, this book does answer it. And it's done in a nice, simple fashion. There's actually some worksheets that they can work through as well. It gives them some sort of tasks that they can do to actually see how they're, they're coming along as a sporting parent. So, no, it's, it's an outstanding read yeah. and uh, congratulations on that. Yeah, thanks very much. For, thanks for taking the time to read it, man. I really appreciate it because... Uh, you know, uh, that sort of feedback's really encouraging for me. And, and what you highlighted is a key part of the book is two things to it. The first one is that I wanted it to be a very easy, digestible read for parents. And there's elements of it where it's quite direct. So it is a no-holds-barred, you know, resource for parents. But the idea of that is to try and create an emotional response for parents in how they're going about things. And the second side to it too that you, you touched on was to do with the I suppose uh, uh, um, the worksheets in there, like the what they're called think boxes um, and lessons from the field. The think boxes just allow parents to actually self-reflect and just pause so that they're not rushing through every page trying to finish the book. It's more about, well, hang on a second, I've just read that chapter and how is this apl- applicable in my context exactly. as a parent and on my particular sporting journey? So that's why I threw those in there so that it was a little bit more of a, a user engaged experience and how it's relevant because every parent is on their own journey with their, their kids and, and no one's right or wrong either. It's about how that context is applied to your journey. So, yeah, no, it was great. Yeah. My book here currently, it's got uh, coffee stains on it. It's got uh, dog ears. It's got some notes on it. It's uh, <laughs> little stick, little stick notes in it. So no, it was, it was good, good work. And uh, yeah, Congratulations on that book again. So we've got a couple of questions for you. Well, thanks, man. Um, where do you draw the line between helping people and showing them how to help themselves? How do you strike that balance? Yeah, I think that's a really good one because helping people and help themselves. So from my experience, I think 
experience will say this um, and you the more experience someone has then I suppose it's not the less willing you're uh, willing or able as a coach you're trying to help people but you you I suppose you get to a stage where you've invested so much time along your journey in trying to get the best out of individuals and over time you kind of recognize certain characteristics or traits in athletes where you they might it might not be a two-way street so what I mean by that is that you're investing so much time and you're going above and beyond and you're giving up that extra time whether it be weekends or you know into the evenings or early mornings and and it's only a one-way street so the what they're what what they're actually giving back uh, is limited so what I mean by that is if you're trying to help someone and they're not helping themselves to the best of their ability but they're purely relying on you as a coach your attention your guidance to get them there then that's where you kind of do draw the line and I suppose a good example of that is something that that springs to my mind is I have worked with athletes before who uh, want you to I suppose train with them and push them and I'm I'm not one of those coaches who uh, trains with everyone. Like I, I, I rarely train with anyone or any of the, the athletes I've worked with hardly at all in my career. I could probably count on, on single hand the amount of times I've actually jumped in and done a session. And I, I don't do that from a um, an arrogance thing or a selfish thing, but I do that because in my mind, I feel like if you're trying to get myself being a 40-year-old bloke who hasn't even played professional sport to chase you and be on your heels and get you up then what are you actually comparing yourself to you need to be intrinsically motivated to succeed and it shouldn't be at the i suppose the the demand or expectation that somebody else is going to get you up all the time so yeah where where i draw the line is i suppose there's just that element of give and take it can't be give 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 and an athlete constantly taking, taking along the way, they've got to display those traits where they've shown that independence and ownership that they're prepared to to put in work on and their again, own. Again, you've probably only got limited time to most of your athletes as well. So if you've got them for two hours a day, what are they doing for the rest of the 22 hours of the day as well? Well, you can't be on yeah, top exactly of them right. all the time. Yeah, spot, right, so spot on. So what activities would make you lose track of time? So if you weren't coaching, what would be something that you we, we could find you doing outside of, you know, your normal coaching sort of space? Yeah, I think there's been in the last, oh, I'm going to say five or so years, I, I got into photography in a big way. I don't, I, if I'm honest, I don't get out there as much as I would like to, but I'm, I'm one of those people who I like myself time. So because I feel like we continually give so much to our athletes and in my instance of students and things like that throughout the day then I think if I'm honest and and my partner knows this as well that in order for me to be the best version of myself then I need myself time so uh, so an example of that would be photography and that's exactly why I took it up because it just allowed me to you know roam the streets you know um, I suppose get lost in in different areas and things like that, and and just go wandering where I'm not looking at my clock, I'm not looking at at a watch or anything like that, and and just kind of be in the moment. And so there's that element to it, and and I love reading, like I just love the silence of 
of reading. I know that sounds weird, but uh, you know, I sound like an old man in saying that I'd love to sit on a porch and with a nice view and just read a book. But as I've gotten older, it's the little I, uh, things that you just, enjoy. Yeah, it calms me down, and I just get lost. Beautiful. Yeah. So now, a couple of other questions for you. Again, if you had a, a could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? So you think of a billboard that right in the middle of Brisbane that all the traffic goes under and look, again, easy question and easy answer for this would be you'd be advertising the sporting parent in your book, but let's take that out of the equation. <laughs> what would be on that billboard? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, I, this is going to sound really cliche, but I'll be completely honest in saying this is it would just be uh, just be true to yourself. So the reason why I say that is I've dabbled with it for a long time or when I say dabbled I've I've I suppose had trouble with it for a long time in that being yourself comes at a cost and if you don't be yourself then that cost often can there can be positives there can be negatives but at the end of the day if you're not yourself and you're continually trying to please other people, whether it be in social circles, whether it be coaches or in your work environment, then you kind of don't die by your own sword. All you're doing is is trying to do the right thing by other people. And the, the learning or the lessons that I've learned, and it's, you know, I think this comes with you know, a bit of maturity along the way in that you, if you do be yourself, you know, at the end of the day, there's going to be people who like you or dislike you. It doesn't matter. And and you're cool with that. Where I think a lot of young coaches and me as well were was constantly trying to do the right thing by other people. And uh, in a lot of instances, try and seek uh, just ways in which I could do things better. And, and because I, I was such a self-reflective person, then throughout my journey along the way, I feel like I kind of lost myself to to that element in in trying to please everyone and sure i'm not saying that you you've been you've got to be selfish but the reality of it is i'd just be more content now to know that uh in being my being true to myself then that's cool that there can be people who can like you and and there's always going to be people who can dislike you too and and i'm cool with that and i'm at peace with that now so uh as a coach i think you you if you stick to your guns and and do what you believe in then you know, things will work out or they won't, but you'll still be better for it in you the see, long run. You see me speaking from experience there. Would you would be care to share any times where you haven't been yourself and, and how that influenced some – I mean, you can obviously leave the names out for <laughs> – <laughs> uh, Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, mate, I'm, I'm an open book when it comes to this stuff. I'm, so one of the biggest lessons that I, I learn is that I suppose – that you, you constantly hear people say this, and, and I stand true to this, is that people refer to this lifelong learner and things like that. And, you know, I, I know as an example, you know, you and I are mates with outside of this as well. And, and I'm happy to say that I don't know the answer to things and ask for people who I look up to in our industry and ask for, you know, how can I do this better? Why would you do this? And, and I'm cool with that. And there's probably, as I got later in into my career and, and into um, you know greater uh, or greater heights in, in sport, I suppose you could say, is that I suppose I, I, I took that mentality into it, and and by wanting more opinions and and trying to gather that that thirst or that quench for the thirst for for knowledge, then 
what it, it actually ended up doing was deviating in my coaching philosophy and and by doing that then like I was kind of alluding to before in that you you can't necessarily die by your own sword in decisions that you make on a day-to-day basis so if I you know had my time again in in, in a variety of different instances I'm talking day-to-day coaching through to specific jobs and things like that is that I'd, I'd probably take more things with a grain of salt as far as um, you know, seeking opinions for things that, that didn't deviate me too much in, into what me what actually got me there in the first place. So following on from that, what is your best mistake? What's the best mistake you've made? And let's put let's say we got as a coaching focus. What's your best mistake? Best mistake. Um best mistake. The the thing that springs to mind would probably be, I don't know if you'd call it a mistake, but it was a it's a good learning experience, I suppose. Is um, people see like at the end of the day, people see professional sport in our career or our profession as the light at the end of the tunnel, and I, and I do too. So I'm not offending anyone in in saying this, or uh, but the the number one thing for me. And like I said, it's not a, I don't necessarily deem it to be a mistake, but uh, when I had my first experience in going full time in professional sports, I've worked with professional athletes for years, but the, when you go all in on something, that was for me a, a really like a light bulb moment in that I was, I was kind of doing things differently. So what I mean by that is I went all in in my first professional job not fully aware that I was only there for a short time because some, in some instances, uh, for those who don't know, uh, contracts are, are literally yep. a year to year thing. So, you know, people talking about signing two and three year contracts and things like that, they're, they're not all too common. So uh, what I mean by that is now because of turnovers with coaches and things like that, then that a lot, a lot of the time it's a year to year thing. And, some people thought that was a strange thing for me that I was walking away from the stability of a good job, a good team that I'd, you know, been a part of S and C guys, and and in leaving that job to to end up getting a job full time and in such a what other people outside of the field would say is yeah. such a risky, uncertain thing. Like, why would you leave the certainty of an environment and a job that you're fully secure in to go and do that? And and the mistake that we're talking about would be that it allowed me to see other people's mentality who had lasted the longevity in professional sport time and time again in that um, would I do that same thing again? I definitely would. But I also was experienced and it allowed me the experience to gain insights into what happens on the other side being whereby how, how some people last in professional sport over the years and, and in some instances, the longevity in professional sport. And and the mistake for me, I, I, you know, a lot of people would say it was a mistake saying, oh, you know, this guy's walked away from this and he had everything there. That was, a, that was a foolish mistake to go and do that. But for me, it was actually rewarding it to give me the insights of what I've just said there as far as what goes on behind the scenes. And, and it actually allowed me to, get another job thereafter. So sometimes I think you've, you've got to take that leap 
And, and I think contextually, everyone has different stages in their lives where they're prepared to take bigger risks than others. So was it a mistake for me to, to walk away from security and the certainty of a, a day-to-day coaching gig to, to learn more and, and see what happens and experience and explore the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, then I don't think it was particularly, but I'm sure a lot of people probably would say that it was a mistake. It also falls into part of that growth mindset too, is that, you know, if you're getting stale where you are and you, you know, you're comfortable in in that place where you, where you were and you, you know, you had a great setup there, you had great people, you know, it was just sort of something where, Hey, you you felt you needed that challenge. yeah, and for me, that's exactly what it was. And and I think that growth mindset is something too because you see a lot of people, everyone throws that around and talks about the growth mindset. But, uh, you know, if I, I'll put it out there too in saying that if you work in professional sport where the margins of error are so low, how much of a growth mindset are you prepared to go by? So if you know that you haven't tried something, Okay, so we're not, I'm not saying that we all think that we know everything, but if you haven't tried something, to what extent are you prepared to try it and dabble with it in order to learn and grow from it as opposed to doing what's safe, what you know, and staying in your lane for that longevity? And, and for me, that growth mindset is, is crucial. But once again, I think there's a context to everything. And I think if you throw that out to a lot of coaches along the way, the extent of their growth mindset, uh, you know, might be very limited compared to other people. And like I said, it's a contextual thing too and an environmental thing. And, and that, that's, that works as a team being who's your boss through to, you know, who are you working alongside through to a club and an organization and I think the the real successful teams do encourage mistakes and how big a cost they are, then then you can certainly see the support from the top-down approach of, of the mistakes you've made and how supportive the people above you are. Do they really encourage growth mindset as opposed to trying to fly straight? Yeah, so keep to speak. things simple and don't take risks. Usually what happens. Yeah. All right, so... Coming away from you know your best mistake in your life, what's the most important thing you've learned in your life? Like, uh, like I said before, the most important thing would definitely be staying true to yourself, and 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 probably just surrounding yourself by the right people, whereby they've got your best interest at heart. So, what I mean by that is you want to surround yourself by you know, I know, uh, you know, a lot of coaches and, and I spoke about, say, for example, your and my relationship as well, is that you want to have people who call you out on stuff, but knowing that if they call you out on it, then it's actually for the betterment of you, as opposed to having people not call you out on it because they're worried about what you think and things like that. But I, the, the, the biggest lesson that I can learn from all of it is that, um, is that, that you want to surround yourself by people who not are not only positive towards you, but also have your best interest at heart. And it might not be the things you want to hear sometimes, uh, but at the same time, it's, yeah, you need to, man. And I, and I think that it's, it's the people that I surround myself with are people that are, you know, this is going to sound really cheesy with too, but that I can just keep it real with. They can just tell me what time it is and I can tell it back and, and we can, there's just that mutual respect there and that's something that I'm really, really grateful for. So 
Um, yeah, and then and that with that comes with the the opportunity, I suppose, that it's okay too to outgrow, um, you know, whether it be friends and and connections and things like that. That it's I suppose it's just a, a personal growth opportunity whereby it's okay that you you know you might not hang out with people that you hung out with when you were a teenager and things like that because you know you you've evolved as an individual as well and and that's not a bad thing. So yeah, no, well done. Yeah. Good answer. What do you think is the most significant event in the history of the human race? It's a little bit off topic, nothing to do with coaching. What do you think is the most wow. significant event in the history of the human race? Significant event. Okay, we're trying to find a little bit deeper now. We well, want to see yeah, who's Nathan Parnham away from the, the coach yeah. and the author now. What What do you think is the most significant event, event in the history of the human race? Try if I try one thing that I, I do try and steer away from is I'm not going to talk religion or politics <laughs> because they start world wars. Yeah, let's stay away so, from that. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I will stay away from that. So, um, but something I think is is like it's just game changing, and I'm about to read a couple of books going into this when they arrive. Uh, is more to do with technology, like the influence of technology for us as humans in how how we're essentially going to like mankind or humankind is is going to you know evolve. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, uh, the jury's out. But there's one thing that is definitely a certainty is that technology is not going anywhere soon. And for me, I think that's a scary concept for for humankind in that because it's evolving at such a rapid rate and we're so dependent on it, I feel like we're getting lost. And, and just in general, we're getting lost. We're losing our identity as individuals, but we're also losing the, the, yeah. the connection of what, yeah, is those human to uh, human relationships and bonding and things like that, that are, are really, really important to humankind. And, and I think the technologies, there's certainly elements of technology that are, are keeping that together, but in a large element of it, I feel like it's very much disconnecting all of us as individuals and and for me for me personally i just think that's a scary thing so i suppose i've been fortunate that i'm in a generation where i've come through both sides of it the younger generation yeah, coming through that's that's, yeah, that's the it. norm right and that's that's the expectation and what you don't know you don't know so it's, it's definitely interesting you, you, so yeah that, that would be absolutely. my and you touch on that in your book too the sporting parent and the influence of technology on kids as well so yeah, exactly right. Yeah, so a big part of it at the beginning is to go into that and really show parents because a lot of parents are from, you know, our generation where they still think that, you know, certain things and activities are done in schools and, and you know, playing and all these sorts of things and, and the reality is they're just not. So the idea of that in the book is that it just allows you to not only calculate how much time and, and your kids are actually spending in front of their devices and things like that, but actually allow you to take a step back and reflect on that and say, hang on a second, if this is how much I'm, how much time as an adult I'm spending and this is what they're spending, what's that actually doing to their growth and, and physical activity? So that was the idea of that. Right, in, now, in following on from that question, you've actually answered it with technology, so this will be a good one for you. So if in 150 years, science and the internet fails us, and all that's left is a book about your life. What would the title be? 
And you can't use one you've already used before, so I'm going to rule that out. What would the title about your of your life be? About my life. Oh, I suppose it, it kind of crosses over in just being live it on your terms, live life on your great, terms. Great title. That, I think that, yeah, that sounds a bit like a tombstone <laughs> right, so title. The, the, the it, title but, of your book is it, Live uh, Life yeah. on Your Terms. So what would the blurb be? Yeah. What would the blurb be? Oh, wow. <laughs> I told you I was going to stump you uh, with some questions. Yeah, you did. You've stumped me here. What would the blurb be living life on your terms? I suppose going back to what I was saying before in that, uh, uh, you know, would we would we have a, a go-to manual on how to keep it real for real sake? <laughs> that might be it. That might be it. But, uh, yeah, that's it, man. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, no, I suppose that it would definitely have something in there to do with keeping it real for sure. Yeah. <laughs> if you achieved your childhood dream of becoming a rapper, what would your name be? Oh, childhood dream of becoming a rapper. Wow. Can't have anything to do with Slim in there. Nah, he's um, done. He's taken up. Yeah, he's done. Yeah, he's made his mark. Oh, it's got yeah. There, there's got to be something to do with it, with with boss in there for sure. Just just has that extra element of, of oomph, doesn't it? Absolutely, <laughs> boss something. <laughs> right, boss something. We'll stay with that. We'll stay with that. Now, would you rather be a worried genius or a joyful idiot? Worried genius or a joyful idiot? I would say that I'm probably more the worried genius, but then at the same time, I definitely would love to have traits where I actually didn't care. So um, if, I, if I had to choose, yeah, like I know that's going to sound like I'm sitting on the fence, but you know what? I'm going to go the other way because I am a, a big warrior and, and, and you know, can be quite an anxious person at times. So, I, you know, I'd love to, to have that bliss of just being, the, the carefree idiot just for a day so that I, you know, I wasn't worrying oh, so have, much or I wasn't so anxious. So I take that bliss. Set aside a day a week, <laughs> the joyful idiot for a day a week just to be compressed. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should do that. It's, uh, no, no, that's a great idea. Maybe I should look into that a little bit more. <laughs> All right. Um, if you had credit for creating any piece of art, painting, music or song or movie, what would you choose? I'd go with painting for sure, because I've I've uh, I have had quite a, a a big you know I did a decent level of art when I was at school and and I love that creative side. So for me, getting lost in a medium of painting would definitely would would definitely be it for sure because I just think it's really self-expressive. I think it's you know. It, Art is such an individual thing where tastes have such a broad spectrum of variety. And for me, it would definitely be a piece of art for sure. Um, Do you have a favourite quote? Yes, I do, actually. And you've literally just stumped me on it. A favourite quote. Oh, this is it. Yep. So the favourite quote goes something along the lines of, it's in the beginner's mind, the options are endless, but in the expert's mind, very few. Outstanding. Do you know who, who came up with that quote? I haven't heard that one before. 
No, I don't. And it's probably been in the last few years that I don't know specifically who it is. So unfortunately, I, Google yeah, I can't, that. you know, I can't remember who, the, yeah, I can't quote who that is. But the reason why I say that's really, really important for me is because I think we see this a lot and particularly in coaching that the more experienced we get, the less or we, you know, we know the direct route to go to, to where we want to go, that that end route, so to speak, or that end point. So often we can have the blinkers on. And, and for me, this is what excites me about building teams and, and having, you know, as an example, where I'm at at, at Brisbane Grammar School is that I never want to lose sight of surrounding myself by people who continue to maybe explore things differently to me because it allows me to have that sense of balance. So if I start pigeonholing myself and being quite direct and putting the blinkers on in how to get to a particular area, then your ability to grow becomes less and less. And I think we, you often see that with the, you know, the hard-nosed journeyman coaches whereby there's only one way to do it. And for me, the challenge isn't necessarily – sure, I, like I'm, I'm humble enough to say that I, I – I, don't know everything and 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 there's certainly things that I can learn from many of coaches above me but but the thing that actually excites me is the younger coaches coming through and their inquisitiveness to explore and throw things out that I may never have done and I may never even thought of doing sure there's an element of that where I might understand that you know is this really going to work or is it not but I still want to surround myself by yet through younger coaches with bigger ideas that I suppose are fearless ideas of, of how to go about that because they don't know any better. And, and it's not up to me to, to knock that on the head, but I want that to, I really want to harness that creativity. So yeah, in the, in the beginner's mind, the, the options are endless and in the expert's mind are, are very few. So that's also ties resonates. into that. You don't want to be full of a team of yes men or yes people. You want to have people that are going to question and, and challenge, you know, that, that, I guess your decision making as well, because that's just going to make you as a better coach. Yeah, and and it, that that goes back to what I was saying before too. In that a lot of people will say that, but then when someone does question them, it'll end up being, well, who are you to question me? And you know, what sort of experience do you have to question me? It's like, well, man, I'm I'm not asking to call you out. I'm just asking because I'm saying that I don't know. So can, can you enlighten me? Like, can you delve into that for me and Help me out, man. Like this is how I learn, and and you know that that might annoy. Like I, I was that annoying guy at uni, mate. If you want to ask someone, ask Darren Burgess, because I was that idiot in the classroom who was constantly putting my why, hand up why, saying yeah. why, why, when he probably wanted the lecture just to to keep going. Um, but at the same time, like I, I just feel like you you shouldn't be fearless of that, and that that comes down to a lot of the organisation and and the top down approach of how much support is is in that environment and and that just comes through trust and exposing yourself so if i expose myself that i'm confident to say that i don't know this then you know and and if they're less experienced coaches and and you and i you know matt i can laugh at this with you because i'm hopeless with technology and i'm not afraid to say that but the reality of it is is if there's younger coaches coming through and coaching a lot of the times now involves a lot of technology and will show me how to do it man i'll spend all day doing it and i'll write it down and, and take the notes man but Show me, show me how to how to do it, and and I'm happy to do that. And and if you you know if I'm perceived to be above you, then 
so be it. I don't really care, but it just strengthens the trust and bond in a, in a group and right. a team. Well, one of the ones I've sort of always raised. You mentioned it before. You talked about trusting the process. No one talks about that. You know, trust the process. Well, yeah. And you sit with the coach and say, okay, well, what's the process? You show me your process, and I'll show you my process. If they don't match up, then we're in we're in trouble because we're not on the same page. So you can get that from those discussions with people. Totally. And you know what the thing is as well is, and I think that's a really great point because that's okay too. So by by us engaging in that conversation and, you know, your system or model that you're telling me doesn't marry up with mine, then it's actually engages more creative thinking and understanding of how we can go about bettering exactly. it. And a lot of people say that, trust the process, trust the process. But like I was going to before in, in that growth mindset of how far are you really willing to trust the process? And and for me, that's what, like I said, in teams and organizations, it's, it is a top-down thing of, of allowing people to, to really harness that creativity and that freedom to actually go, this is how I would do it. How do you do it? And it's not a we're not in conflict right now. There's no beef that you're doing it one way and I'm doing it another way. It's actually, well, no, no, like I'm cool with that too, man. So let's just yep. sort it out and, and figure out why my mind's working like this and your mind's working like that. Meet too. in the middle and then we can work from there, come together as a team and move on. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and it's all, yeah, now, exactly If you were right. forced to eliminate every physical possession from your life except what you could fit into a single backpack, what would you put in it? Every, so every, every physical possession from your life. Clean undies, wouldn't you? You can need to fit into a backpack. <laughs> you definitely need clean undies. That's it. That'd be the start point. Uh, <laughs> that'd be the starting point. Um, yeah, mate. Uh, look, yeah, I, I think probably a, a good one that comes to mind would be my camera. Yeah. Nothing else matters, man, uh, because mm-hmm. you know you've got the the freedom to create memories right there, and and I'm big on sentimental value and and but i'm also in saying that i'm also big on uh without getting too deep into spirituality and things here but the the whole impermanence thing of me the the backpack thing would actually simplify my life quite a bit and i'd be happy with that so um you know leaving everything behind would uh, i'd be cool with that but the, the idea of having a camera there would allow me to continue to capture memories along the way and if they got lost too, then yeah. so now, be it. Just going back to that camera thing, if you could take a single photograph of your life, what would it be? What would it look like? What would it contain? Yeah, a single photograph would be, I'd say, I'd, I'm not into landscape photography and things like that, but for me personally, I, I'd I'd like the the concept of, at being a landscape picture with hills and mountains uh, with also a storm around it as well. So the, I think that the, how that replicates is or translates the to of nature sort of thing. The uncertainty of life, life yeah. is, yeah, like life is beautiful in, in the, you know, you've got the mountains there and, and nature side of it. Um, but there's also hurdles along the way and, and things that you, you may not necessarily like at the time you, you know, and, and that uh, uh, that goes back to that growth mindset. But the storm would be that element of of turmoil, and so it's just, I suppose, that contrasting thing of of just having that that peace and harmony to show the you know 
life's beauty at the same time combined with the i suppose the force of nature as well which is something that i, I actually nice. find fascinating now, who would be in your ultimate punters club we're talking about, like, again, this could be dead or alive. We're talking about, you know, people you know, people you, you yeah. would love to know. So, again, knock about people, the larrikins. Like, who would be your ultimate punters club? In general, from everyone around the world. Um, so, firstly, I'll say, I will preface this, though. Those who know me know that I actually don't know how to put a bet down. That's so a I wouldn't have a clue. I've been to the races. I've put. I've been to the races a few times and never seen a race once. Or, or I've probably put people get people to put the bet the bet down for me. But um, the punters club would appeal to me because it would just allow me to yeah, have that's some good so banter. That's what we're looking and for. Mainly think, the banter that, yeah, that, that usually occurs in a punters club. Yeah, yeah. They'd have to be. I suppose there'd have to be a good-looking rooster in there somewhere, wouldn't there be, like Brad Pitt or something like that? Um, no, you know what? Jason yeah. Statham. Go uh-huh. Jason Statham because I'm losing my hair more and more these days and I can relate to him a little bit better. So we get Jason Statham in, Jason Statham in there because he'd have the banter, but he's got the tough guy appeal. Um, we'd have to get someone who had a little bit more of a larrikin in them. Uh, who would it be? I'd like a... Uh, you know what? I was watching a documentary the other night on Pink. Oh, yeah. I'd like Pink to be in the punters club. So, because he has an element of that where oh, I'm cool with the, the harmony of, I'm going to say, guys and girls hanging out. Like, it's not high school. Um, but I reckon she'd be a really cool chick just to call a spade a spade when it came to the punters and, club. And so Ken put on a decent it. concert too. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm guilty too, of attending too, one yeah. of those too. <laughs> Yes, at least I'm not alone, but the difference was I admitted it first. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they'd be two anyway that spring to mind. I don't know who else. There'd have to be a famous sports person in there for sure. Um, I don't know who they'd be, but maybe Floyd Mayweather because he can splash the cash around and make the punters club last a little bit Fair longer. Enough. Well, there's three. That'll do us for the time being. We might get some off you later. Yeah. Um, and what would be your best motivational pump-up song? So something you would be your go-to. This is it. This is Everything's on the line here. What's your motivational pump-up song? Yeah. One that continues to come up over years and just has stood the test of time would be Anti Up by MOP. Yeah, nice. The group's called MOP and the song is One last Anti-Up. question or probably a couple more before we go. What sport would be the funniest to add the mandatory amount of alcohol to? <laughs> I don't want to say boxing because then that would be quite brutal, but... Um, a non-contact sport, I think, probably a yeah. I, 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 to be honest, I, when I say non-contact now, this might be contradictory to those who play it, but I'm going to say netball. I just think, aside from the laxity in the joints and the possibility of increasing the, yeah, let, let's take of ACLs, that out of it. This is but, purely from you know, a, a yeah. Take that a, out of it. If we if we take our dorking hats off, then I'm going to say netball because. Yeah, because I just think that I'll end up turning loose into a, or a game of rough and tumble, and and that's going to be from both sides too, a game of mixed netball too, because we both know that everyone gets competitive. So right, I'm going to say netball. netball. Now, is there any questions that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you during this podcast? Wow. No, I think you. To be honest, I, this has been really cool because. You said to me from the beginning that it was going to challenge my my thinking of and not be your normal podcast and and I I've actually really liked this conversation because it's allowed me to think on the spot and and delve into a little bit more of 
of who I am. So um, those questions that you you asked me, I I don't think I um I could have actually well, I yeah would have even, even been able to think of those myself. To be honest, I think you've done a great job with it. Yeah, well, again, it's, it's episode one. I only hope to get better from here. That's 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 the goal for me. You never know; they might not exactly. Be so we'll go. Yet, we'll so go anyway. so um, <laughs> and how far off do you think you are of catching Matty J sneaker collection? Oh, well off now. Well off now. The one thing that I'm, I, I, you know, I'll put my hand up and say that I've lost this game too is having a kid certainly hasn't um, reinforced the support from your spouse of the need for more sneakers. So Matty's got me there. He's probably stood his ground longer with his missus than mine, but uh, I'll give him that. He, he's, I'm definitely not outrunning him. Not a, I don't think anyone is anytime soon, Matty. I mean, he has been pretty quiet lately. I don't no. know where he's at at the moment, but I'm sure he's still up there. He has, yeah, but he's... Yeah, you know, you know, you've got an issue with a sneaker collection when you've still got. I've got one or two pairs that I haven't worn yet, but he, I, I know secretly inside that he's got shoes in boxes that he still hasn't unpacked yet. So he's, he's, he's saving them for a rainy day. What, what would be the yeah. best way for people to reach out to Nathan Parnham? Well, I suppose um, I try and dabble in the social media side of things, and that's something that I, you know, it's not for everyone, but I kind of feel like. If you're an older coach and you're not dabbling in it, you're kind of falling by the wayside when it comes to those younger coaches coming through. So if you just look up Nathan Parnham um, on a variety of different platforms, you, you'll be sure to find me. They're probably the easiest way. I get a few direct messages from from people. So I don't mind people reaching out and, and you know, asking questions or, or whatever in, in that time. So, yeah, um, you know, I suppose the first one, jump over to Instagram and check out Nathan underscore Parnham. And yeah, that, that's the first port of call, I suppose. Yeah. It'd be the easiest way to. Those interested to get in the sporting parent book, where's the best place to purchase those? Yeah, so if you jump over to nathanparnham.com forward slash book, then that'll be your best avenue because there's a variety of different platforms that you're able to purchase it. So whether that be people who are in Australia through to the international listeners of the podcast, then. That'd be the the easiest way to yeah I suppose to figure out what what best suits you. So NathanParnham.com. All right, mate. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, we're going to end it here. And I'll talk to you very soon. Awesome. Thanks very much, mate. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. Thanks for those who have you know have have tuned in and and spent the time listening. And and I hope it's been some some interest to you to you know not only grow as an individual but but as a coach too. Oh, so thank thanks you very much. Thank you so much for listening to the Kinetic Collective podcast powered by Play. If you are looking to take your weight room or training facility to the next level, you can't go past Play. Play provides turnkey solutions from the ground up for any project, whether it's your team's weight room or a state-of-the-art training facility. For more information, please visit play.global. If you've enjoyed listening, please give us a follow and ring the bell to get a notification for when we post next.